0: Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as a needy people. Father, we are so mindful of our own hearts, and Lord, we need your grace to superabound in our lives. We consistently need your Spirit to guide and direct our lives to shape us into the people you want us to be. And Father, this morning as we start a new year together, we pray afresh that your word will impact our hearts, that we will become people of obedience, that we'll seek to glorify you in all we do, And Father, even for for some of us in this room today, may it be that we come to acknowledge and faith in Christ for the first time. These things we pray in the powerful name of Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. I've got a question for you this morning. And it's a very, very simple question. And the question is this. In your heart and in your mind, what is the most famous Christian song or hymn in the world? Now, to help you out here, lock it down to your top five. So I'll give you a couple of moments just to think about that. I'm not going to call for answers, but Julie and I did this in the car the other day, and I I said, give us your top five, Jules. Tell me what your top five songs are. So have you, have you got the process going there? Okay, I'll call for an answer. Someone give me an answer. Wow. Amazing grace. And that was very similar to that one person survey I did in the car as well. <laughs> the one person survey gave me the statistical analysis that amazing grace was number one. And I think that's true, isn't it? It's it's something that's known widely amongst the world, not just amongst Christian circles, not just amongst the church, but many people know Amazing Grace. The song by an ex-slave trader with these wonderful words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and sneers, we have already come. Twas grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. John Newton got it. He understood what God's grace meant. And he penned it in these wonderful words. He not only understood that it was his way of salvation, i.e. saved a wretch like me, but he also understood that grace would lead him throughout his life. See, grace isn't a one-time event. God's grace isn't a one-time event. God's grace covers our entire Christian experience. For instance, during the, the Protestant Reformation, and we did a series on this a couple of years ago as we looked at the 500th anniversary, one of the key tenets of the Protestant Reformation was by grace alone. Salvation is by grace alone, which meant that there was no human merit played any part of salvation. Salvation comes by divine grace and it's God's unmerited favor and not something offered or exchanged or sacrificed by the sinner. Salvation is a gift, an blessing, a gift of God's grace. You see, 500 years ago, this was a major issue between the church of the day, the, the Catholic church, and those who are being reformed by the scriptures. That God and God alone is the sole actor in grace. Grace is His and only His. It's only by His grace anyone can be saved. You see, it's interesting, as I even today survey my bookshelf, we see the impact of this essential truth on our church. If you go to my shelf, and most of you know I work for Insight for Living, you'll see an oversupply of Chuck Swindoll books. And that's okay. He's a godly man. But his book that impacted me the most when I was your guys' age, you may not believe that once upon a time I was 18, 19, 20, was a book called The Grace Awakening. Another book by Jerry Bridges called Transforming Grace and another book by Phil Yancey called So What's Amazing About Grace? all delve into this whole area of, well, well how, how central and how important is God's grace for us every day of our lives. Each of those three books moved away from the principle that you're saved by grace and looked at the whole philosophy that it's God's grace that is with you every day of your life. It's God's grace through the empowering Holy Spirit that shapes you. And they're important things to understand so this topic of God's grace is an essential truth and it's something that personally I never get sick of telling people about and we get that privilege again today to revisit this this truth to remind ourselves who is the author and perfecter of our faith it's Christ himself through God's grace so turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 very familiar passage of scripture we're going to read Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10 and look at this amazing topic of God's grace I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning so if you have a, an app or a, an iPhone or you can look at the ESV version children of wrath like the rest of mankind but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them this section of scripture can be easily broken into three paragraphs the first paragraph talks about how humanity walks the second paragraph talks about the solution to humanity's walk And that God's mercy and grace makes us alive with Christ. And the final section talks about God's new creation. So as you're alive in Christ, what are the responsibilities? How have you been saved? What is the ongoing process for a believer? The first section is is pretty self-explanatory. It's verses 1 to 3. And basically it covers that all humanity, every human being on the face of the earth is spiritually dead. That's what Paul's reminding these Ephesian believers. There is no way you can provide salvation by yourself. You are dead. You are dead in your sin. They're dead because... You are dead because you're walking according to the world. You're walking according to the passions of the flesh. And by very nature, grab that at the end of verse 3, by very nature, you're innate being. Your very nature, you are children of wrath. Whoa, that's pretty heavy duty for the first week in January. But that's the reality. Every human being on the face of the earth by nature is a child of God's wrath. You see here those who do not have Christ are described as spiritually dead. And you have Really, in these verses, you, you see there is no moral or godly restraint in what they do. They follow the prince of the power of the air. Yeah, sure, they might not fall down and worship Satan, they not, might not be a cult in their practice. But the very fact that you're enticed by the things of the world, you're walking under the devil's domain. That's what this verse tells me. that prior to any regenerating grace of God, no one acts any sort of spiritual life. Nothing. Dead. Dead means dead. Dead in your sins, live to the standards of the world, under the control of the devil, and by nature under God's wrath. That's a frightening place to be by very nature, under the wrath of God. You see, this term children of wrath is, a, is used a lot in the Old Testament. The Old Testament would, would interpret as sons of disobedience, and being a son of disobedience meant you were worthy to receive divine judgment. And this is true because we are separated from God by our sin because we are dead in our trespasses and sin, we are separated and death is the primary metaphor used in these verses, not only here go back to Romans Romans chapter 2 and 3 constantly talk about the separation from God that we are dead in our sin you see, dead people can't respond have you ever heard of a dead person respond? I haven't. See, prior to coming to Christ, we're dead in our actions and we're dead in our nature. Spiritually, we cannot save ourselves. And I think this is the point that Paul's making very strongly in these verses. You think about the image of this metaphor of death. I want you just to go back and imagine yourself that you're a, uh, you're with Jesus as he comes up to Lazarus' tomb. Can okay, you got the picture in your mind? You know, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? You all know that story. Well, just imagine if you were with Jesus and you approach Lazarus, who's dead, and, and say, Lazarus, you need to get up because Jesus is here. Come on, Lazarus. He's a wonderful saviour. All you need to do is reach out to him. You wouldn't say those words to dead Lazarus, would you? Because he's dead. Is he going to respond? No. The only way Lazarus responds is because Jesus could call him from the grave. The only way Lazarus responded is because Jesus gave him the, the ears to hear. Jesus gave him the strength to move. Jesus gave him the, the breath to live. And Jesus gave him the will to obey. Jesus uh, Lazarus' response to the call of Jesus was only because Jesus was responsible for the new life that was granted him. Because Lazarus was dead. It's the same with each one of you and I. We are dead in our sins towards the things of God. we are powerless to save ourselves. Romans 3 tells me we're even powerless to seek after God because there's no one righteous. No, not one. So does that picture there describe you today? Is that your state before God today? I can say with absolutely certainty it is if you haven't put your faith in Christ. A life that is lived apart from Christ is a life that's lived in the flesh, that seeks pleasure continually, it's controlled by passion and controlled by the lies of the devil. Lies of the devil, are like such things as you can have your best life now here on this earth through pursuing a job that's going to give you everything, for pursuing a, a man or a woman who's going to meet your deepest desires. Those things are lies because they're temporary. They don't deal with the eternal. They don't deal with your spiritual state. You see, when we think about the temporal consistently, We're opposing what is eternal. If you're like we're like a a sow wallowing in the mud, happy and content without viewing the eternal reality that was separated from God. That's a life of bondage. A complete life of bondage. Do you know what? These verses give us some great, great news. Because even though we are dead, we can be made alive. We can be made alive. Read with me again verses 4 through 7. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus what great news even though you are spiritually completely (laughs) incapable of doing anything towards your salvation God steps in don't you love the contrast of scripture every time you read scripture look for these great contrasts and the great contrast is normally determined by one small word but but God Need I say any more? God transforms the heart. Even though we were dead spiritually, God stoops down from heaven with his amazing mercy and love and makes us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is an exclusive act of God alone through Christ. The claims of salvation, there are many throughout the world through many false religions. This is the exclusive nature of who God is and what he has done through the person and work of Christ. The creator and the sustainer of this world... The second person of the triune God came down, incarnate, word became flesh, and atoned for sin. Atoned for sin, what does that mean? Took our place on the cross. Took the things we deserved, so that we could be made alive in Christ. And who does this? God and God alone. God is the actor as he stoops down with his amazing mercy and love and makes us alive. This whole paragraph emphasizes God acted on our behalf simply because of his own gracious and merciful character. That's who God is. Full of grace and full of mercy. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rich like me. Not only does he make us alive together with Christ, he also raises us up with him and he also seats us with him as verse 6 tells us. This is God's rescue plan. And it's the only rescue plan that saves. And it's a rescue plan that comes from the very nature of God, from his very character. It's his gracious initiative. If you go back to Romans chapter 3, you will see a very similar thought by Paul to the church in Rome it's actually even more abbreviated than what we have in Ephesians Romans 3 I'll go at 23 it's one of the most famous verses we know for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God that summarizes the first three verses of Ephesians 2 does it not and then listen to the next verse And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have the problem, we are short of the glory of God, we have the solution, it's by God's grace through Christ, through what Christ offers on the cross, through redeeming us. It's a gracious gift of God that we're justified. That's tremendous news. That is tremendous news. You see, the key truth in this paragraph of Ephesians two is this that we've been made alive with Christ through God the Father. He pours out his mercy and love and grace upon the spiritually dead. Please note God's love is not towards the innocent, because there are no innocent. God's love it's towards the disobedient. To those who by nature follow the world, the flesh, and the devil. You see, Romans 5.8 puts it this way. and This is a beautiful way of looking at it. Love Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a rich like me. God's rich mercy. This is the only time Paul uses the word mercy in Ephesians. It's an Old Testament concept. It's used many times in the Old Testament. And a well-known Hebrew word called hesed, talking about God's covenant faithfulness, his loving kindness towards his people who continually rebelled against him. Gosh, we've just done a a series through the back end of Judges. What's the one thing that impressed you the most about that? God's continued faithfulness to a people who hated him. God's continued faithfulness to a people who turned and worshipped other gods. And yet God in his hesed and his loving kindness um, showed his mercy towards them. You see, in the context here, this is not about God's covenant mercy and faithfulness, but this is is at the essence about God's character and his compassion for sinners. God extends his mercy towards sinners because of his great love. Because he knows they are completely helpless and entrapped in their own snare of sin. So you know what these verses tell me, which is tremendous. Dead men, dead women can walk. Dead men and dead women can walk through faith in Christ's through faith in his atoning sacrifice, that he is your sin bearer, that he has taken God's wrath in your behalf. We can walk in newness of life because of what Christ has done. Not only have we been made alive, but these verses tell us we've also been raised and seated with Christ are the two other verbs that are used here in verse 6. We've been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Raised refers to eternal life, the promise of eternal life. It's only one who has conquered death, hell, and the grave. Is that correct? It's Christ himself. Through Christ's resurrection he has imputed the same thing to us when we put our faith in him, that we also will be raised with him. Because he has conquered death, we too also conquer the constraints of death and sin. That equals eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 3. Not only have we been raised with him, no longer is a a guarantee of eternal life ours. But let's face it, everyone has eternal life, okay? You realize that? Every one of us has eternal life. It's just the destination that's up for grabs. Eternal life in the heavenlies with Christ. Eternal damnation. In hell. The devil and his angels. Every one of us has an aspect of eternity to us. It's called our soul. So here we see God raised Christ, conquered death, conquered sin. And when we put our faith in Him, we have eternal life. But know that we also have an inheritance seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ it's an inheritance we have we have eternal life and we're made alive let that be a focus for you Christian you believer this year these are critical things in our walk the material does not matter The things that matter is that you have been made alive in Christ, that you have eternal life guaranteed, and that you have an inheritance with Christ. It's kind of interesting here also, because if you go back to chapter 1, in Paul's prayer at the end of chapter 1, he states these things, if you go to verse 19, And what is the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? And then he explains what the working of this great might is, and it's in relation to Christ. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So the same things he has done for Christ, he does for us, for those who have faith in Christ. But one thing he does not do for us, what he does for Christ, and it's in the next verses, 21 through 23. Because Christ holds a position that will always be above ourselves. Because Christ's position is exalted, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but in the ones to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So yes, we are raised with Christ. Yes, we are seated and we have an inheritance, but Christ is the one who is exalted. Christ alone has the exalted position. And you get that right through the start of chapter 1, where you see this phrase consistently appealing. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, we have redemption. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Christ is the exalted one. Verse 7 tells us the purpose of being made alive, the purpose of being raised up, the purpose of being seated with, which are all past tense verbs, by the way. So when you put your faith and trust in Christ, these things you have now, But there's a future aspect to it, which verse 7 tells us, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So not only in this present age, but in a continual age, the whole demonstration of what God is doing and has done will be shown. To demonstrate his kindness, to demonstrate his love for the sinner and ultimately in the future age we will fully appreciate his grace because we only get a glimpse of it at the moment so we've got this stinking old mortal body we still got to deal with we still have the fleshly desires we need to deal with we still have all those issues we need to deal with but in the coming day we will fully appreciate his grace and his mercy. See, God loves us entirely out of his mercy. We may never fully understand in this life the mysteries of God's sovereign act of salvation. But we can begin to glimpse and grasp his overwhelming love and mercy. See, God is the only one who sovereignly acts to make the spiritually dead alive by uniting us with Christ. This is what these verses teach us and many other verses in Scripture. God is the one who makes us alive. In verses 8 to 10, we have God's new creation. He starts explaining what it means to be made alive. He repeats the phrase, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. This is reaffirming that salvation is God's gift through the channel of faith. And it has nothing to do with the human being at all. Why not? Because if it had something to do with humans, this verse tells us we would boast about it. We become arrogant about it, we'd boast we'd say oh, I've made my way to God in some way or another purpose is here that it is a gift of God and of no one else it's completely not of your own doing so salvation doesn't come by church attendance it, it doesn't come by baptism it doesn't come by good works doing good to others you know, hum, humanitarian things It doesn't come by following a well-crafted Bible study plan. It doesn't come by some liturgical confessions. It doesn't even come by birthright. You know, I honestly thought all New Zealanders were saved, but I've come to the solemn conclusion that is not the case. (laughs) I won't start on Australians. (laughs) See, no human endeavour earns any favor with God. None. Because salvation is not earned, it's a gift. It's a gift available through the channel of faith. And I'd even contend that God grants faith. Some will disagree with that in this audience. That's okay. But God grants you the faith to believe. Believe regeneration comes before faith. See, salvation is on the basis of grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. The divine intention in providing salvation apart from any human effort or achievement is to exclude all human boasting. And then we have verse 10. where we see the responsibility of being part of the new creation. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, God's salvation up to this point has been described in terms of being made alive in Christ, being raised to eternal life, Being seated with Christ and sharing an inheritance. Now it's spoken in terms of a new creation, God's creation. Please note that. We are His workmanship. We are God's workmanship. God's handiwork, I think the NIV says. God's handiwork that's been created in Christ for good works. Paul wants no confusion here for the Ephesian believers. None whatsoever. He's stating that, yes, our salvation is an act of God's kindness and so is our ongoing sanctification. You are saved by grace and you are sanctified by grace. Why? Because the workmanship that's been created And created here has the the tendency of being created before the foundation of the world. These things which God has purposed for you are from a very long time ago. These good works that you are to walk in as a believer and a follower of Christ have been prepared by God. See, the point is clear. God intends those whom he has saved by his abundant grace to live in a manner worthy of their calling to walk in the, in the good works that God has predestined them to walk in. These good works are not the basis of salvation, they are the fruit of salvation. They are the consequence of being united with Christ, with the union with Christ. They are the consequences of you are in Christ and they've been prepared beforehand by a gracious God. God takes the gracious initiative by carefully preparing works for the believer to do. God's divine intention here is that the believer walks in a way that produces fruit, good fruit. And this can only happen through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That's God's way. The indwelling spirit of God changes us, refines us, shapes us, and yes, that is difficult. But those things have been there for a very long time that God wants you to walk in to make you more like Christ. You know, there's an obedience principle here, there is a responsibility to follow Christ. It's not a let go and let God type situation. And I think this is something that within the church that is infiltrating the church. It's a concept we call antinomianism. In simple terms, that means I know I'm saved by grace, but you know what? I'll continue to live the way I desire. That's antinomianism. Paul addresses it in Romans 6. He says, by no means, do not go down that track. Do not go down that track. Fall under the lordship of Christ. Cry out to God. Ask his grace to shape you so that you develop right fruit. The other side is legalism where you put a whole lot of barriers around your faith and say, if I keep these rules, if I keep these laws, if I do these things, and if I impose those things on others, therefore, we're going to be okay. Same side of the wrong coin. It's not allowing God's grace to work in your life to shape and refine you. So we are... Those who have faith in Christ are God's workmanship created in Christ for good works. So walk in them. These verses have highlighted two types of walk, have they not? The walk of humanity. The walk that is entrenched in the course of the world, the power of the devil, and the ways of the flesh. Verses are a walk as one who has been made alive by God in Christ. One who has a workmanship, a handiwork to do for the sake of Christ. These verses clearly teach that salvation is by God's grace. They teach that our ongoing walk is by God's grace and the fruit of our union with Christ is a changed lifestyle. Folks, as followers of Christ, we're works in progress. We are works in progress. Newton got it. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. To us grace that brought us safe thus far and grace will lead us home. We are works in progress. And you know the encouraging thing, if you've been made alive by God, God is with you every step of the way. His grace is superabounding. He'll always be with you. What He has started, He will bring about to completion. But for some of you here, you're still walking in the course of this world. A simple call to you: don't. It's this place of spiritual death. Call out to God in repentance today. Today is the day of salvation. But God, open your heart to the reality of who Christ is and the forgiveness He offers. Do something with that today. Because today is the day of salvation. Let's pray as uh, the music team come up. Sing our final song. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that salvation is all of you. Father, we thank you that you are the author of salvation. Father, we thank you that through Christ we are redeemed and justified. Father, we thank you that for those of us who follow Christ, you have prepared works for us to do. Help us in obedience to reevaluate what we're doing for you, Lord. And to call out and ask for your grace to sustain us through the different circumstances of life. And Father, this morning there may be some here who do not know you, who are still walking in their sin. Father, open their hearts, we pray. Break break open their hardened hearts and let them cry out to you in repentance and seek the Lord. Allow them to put faith and trust in your precious sacrifice, our Lord Jesus. This is our prayer in Christ's name we pray. Amen.